Let's begin our worship this evening by singing to God's praise in Psalm 143. It's the second version and it's uh, on page 439 of the Psalter. At verse 6, Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone. For thou well understands all my complaint and moan. My thirsting soul desires and longeth after thee, as thirsty ground requires, with rain refreshed to be. Lord, let my prayer prevail, to answer it make speed, for lo, my spirit doth fail, hide not thy face in need, lest I be like to those that do in darkness sit, or whom that downward goes into the dreadful pit. We'll sing verses 6 to 10. Lo, I do stretch my hands.
join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we pray that we would adopt the position of the psalmist who uttered these words, Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone. And we realize that stretching out hands is a posture of prayer. But it reminds us also of giving something to you. And also receiving something from you. And we pray that we will remember these aspects of prayer. We come to your footstool and we unburden our souls. We trust in you. And we receive from you the grace that we need for, uh, for each and every day. We pray that as we gather here this night that you would remember us in your mercy. And that you would come in with us and that you would enable us to worship in spirit and in truth. We realize that we are body and soul. We realize that we can be very deceptive, that we can go through all the outward postures of a religious ritual that are nothing short of an abhorrence to you. But real soul worship involves the spiritual side. And we pray that we would be worshiping this night in spirit and in truth. We realize that across the globe this day, in every country under the sun your people are to be found and we pray that where people are in lands of persecution where there is outward manifest persecution that you would give your enabling grace but we do realize that even in our own borders there is persecution of those who seek to honor your name we remember the twos and threes that are gathered together this night in your name. And we pray that you would be there in the midst to bless. But we also pray for any of your people who are very lonely this night. Who are all alone for one reason or another. May they have, as the um, two on the road to Emmaus many years ago had, uh, the Saviour himself come alongside and to open the scriptures to them so that then ultimately their hearts would burn within them. And we pray that you would uh, present yourself with us this night, that we too would glean from your word and that our hearts would indeed burn within us uh, through the insights you give us into your astonishing uh, truth. We give thanks this night for many blessings. We give thanks in particular for family bonds. And we think of Fraser and Tracy who were married on Friday. Bless them as they set out on their lives uh, together. We pray for every one of the families uh, uh, that are part of this congregation and community. And whether they are near to us or far away be a blessing to them and may they all trust in Jesus so that we are all together in the great beyond. We are being reminded day in, day out of the fleetingness of life that young and old can 
suddenly uh, be ushered into eternity. We pray for those who are brokenhearted. We pray that you would succor them and help them. We pray, O oh Lord, for uh, our royal family. We do give thanks <clears throat> for the many decades of service our Queen gave to us, for the example of integrity and faithfulness that she manifests in the midst of great adversity. We pray for those in leadership over us. May they remember that righteousness alone exalts a nation. We are gripped in, uh, in the midst of many great difficulties. But uh, when we consider how we have been as a nation, and uh, consider what our legislatures have passed in recent times, a little surprise that we are facing difficulties. But we pray that the end effect of our difficulties would be to usher us further under the shadow of the wing of Jesus of Nazareth. We think of the Ukrainian problem as it drags on. And um, we pray that for those in positions of power and influence on both sides who are abusing that power and that influence that they would be brought to naught. We realize that sometimes we see it as a cut and dried situation but the reality is many of the western powers are into a woke world that is so abhorrent in the presence of God and may we be alert may we be alert to that we think of some people who pour not just millions but billions and billions of pounds and dollars into attempts at bringing down the institutions that are honouring God and that find their foundations in God and at one level we laugh at the ridiculousness of it that any human being should seek to take on God because there is only ever going to be one outcome to that. But on the other hand, it grieves us that people should set their hearts on such an agenda that brings so much pain and so much misery to many, many people and in particular to many of our young people. We pray, O oh Lord, that uh, you would remain with us for the time that we are uh, gathered here. May we sing to your honour and pray, read, hear to the glory of God. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's Psalm 124. It's the second version. It's found on page 418 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. Now Israel may say, and that truly, if that the Lord and not our cause maintained, if that the Lord and not our right sustained, when cruel men against us furiously rose up in wrath to make of us their prey, then certainly they had devoured us all and swallowed quick for all that we could deem. Such was their rage as we might well esteem. 
And as fierce floods before them all things drown, so had they brought our soul to death quite down. We'll sing the whole song to God's praise. Psalm 1 to 4, second verse, and now Israel may say. <clears throat>
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Revelation of St. John and at chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. And we'll read at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord, our God, help us to remember that we are all on a journey, and that journey will include our appearance before the great white throne that we have just been reading about. If we are honest sometimes when we think about you, we just want to run and hide because we are who we are. But there are no hiding places. We all must appear before the great white throne. But at another level there is a hiding place. And the great mystery is that hiding place is the one who sits on the throne. Because that same judge has come as redeemer and saviour. These are profound truths that we would never dare imagine in our wildest dreams. But we don't have to imagine. 
you have revealed them to us from the pages of scripture and we pray that we would dance with joy in the innermost core of our souls this night because this has been done for poor wretched sinners such as we are that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself that is profound mystery but that is good news and we remind ourselves that the word gospel literally means good news so O Lord may we bow all over again this night in worship and adoration of you for what you have done for poor pathetic wretched sinners such as we are and as we turn to explore something of this your book again this night we pray that you would help us in all our need we have sung lo I do stretch my hands to thee my help alone and we have just sung another song that speaks about the poverty of the individual like a bird caught in a fowler's snare except for the fact there is a God in heaven who answers prayer so be with us we pray have mercy on us all and bless us all and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen let's sing again to God's praise this time it's in Psalm number 90 and it's at verse 14 that's found on page 350 of the Psalter Psalm 90 at verse 14 oh with thy tender mercies Lord as early satisfied so we rejoice shall all our days and still be glad in thee we'll sing verses 14 to 17 of Psalm 90 O oh, thy tender mercies Lord as early satisfy
let's turn to the passage we've read in uh, Revelation chapter 20 and we'll read again at verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. I haven't divided the sermon into headings, uh, just some thoughts on um, some of the things that come up in this area of Scripture. This book was written by one of the disciples of Jesus. John was the closest of all the disciples to Jesus. He was known of as the, the beloved. Um, closer, as I said, to Jesus than any of them. And my guess would be, and maybe the guess of all of us would be, that he might, in his earthly sojourn, think that if he was that close to Jesus, it might have shielded him from the situation he found himself in when he wrote this book. But it didn't. And it didn't for a very good reason. When John wrote this book, he was a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos on the Aegean Sea. And he was a prisoner in that prison because of his faith. It wasn't easy. It was arduous. It was very, very difficult. And we would forgive him if in his early days as a Christian, or perhaps in any of the three years that he interacted with Jesus in this world, that uh, he never imagined that it would end up like that. We could forgive him for that. The other John that we've looked at quite a bit recently in sermons is, uh, is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was blessed by God in that he was a, an amazing preacher. He preached to people by the tens of thousands on the Judean hillsides. He was a man who was used as an instrument in the hand of God and he was hugely influential. Yes, it is true that when Jesus came along he said, I am not the Christ. And he said that Jesus must increase and I must decrease and, and good on him for thinking that way. But we would forgive him again. If he never in his wildest dreams imagined that he would hit rock bottom in a dungeon. And have to send two of his disciples to ask Jesus, are, are, are you the Christ? Or should we look for another? His environment was part of that equation. And I think I've said this often from this pulpit recently. 
We haven't a clue where we are going to get ourselves to in life's journey. And we are capable of anything and everything. Our environments might change completely in just one twinkling of an eye. And someone who is firm and resolute and steady in their faith may take a profound wobble. Nor did I think John the Baptist in his wildest dreams ever imagine that ultimately his head would be on a platter before a great festival organized by one of the Herods. But that's the way it went. And that's the way it went for the apostle or the disciple John as well. And there he is in that prison on that island in the Aegean Sea. It was not easy. It was not easy. But he made the most of what he had. Because we read that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Reminds us of Joseph of old. Joseph who gets on so well in the arduousness of the Egypt he finds himself in. And who is promoted so that he's basically second in the command of a very influential man Potiphar in the land of Egypt. And then because of a woman's wayward lustful longings. He ends up in a prison cell being accused of awful things. And he could so easily have gone under there. He could so easily have sunk and depression could have taken over his life. And I think if it did we would say well we understand. We understand why you are where you are. He didn't allow that to happen. In the midst of it all, he honoured the Lord. And by and by, in the midst of it all, the Lord honoured him. And that's what's happening in this book as well. Because John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now that's interesting. The Lord's day is the one day in seven that is set aside by God. So that the routine of everyday workaday lives is set aside. Now there are works of necessity and there are works of mercy. But apart from that, that day has been set aside. Not only for the times of public worship, but also for times of private worship. The day is to be a spiritual experience, at least if we harness it in the way that we are meant to harness it, so that we are interacting, we are interacting uh, with God. And if we flout that day, we will pay a price for it. And it can be flouted in so many different ways. We can flout it in terms of public worship, you know. One of the big problems that the church has post-COVID, I know we're not in a post-COVID situation yet. We still are in the midst of a pandemic. 
But as I listen around the churches, one of uh, the big problems is this, that people who have stopped physically coming in person to church, whether they're listening online or not, people who are able to go to all other kinds of things except for church, seems to be a big problem. And we are not immune to that. Now I want to stop and I want to qualify what I'm saying here. There are some people who cannot possibly come and thankfully they are able to join uh, us online. I am not being critical in any way whatsoever of, um, of people who cannot be here. It's marvellous that you can join in. But what I am really concerned about is that the God who has said, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, isn't being listened to. And, and if we don't give God his place and listen to what he is saying to us, there will, there will be a consequence. And that is deeply, deeply concerning. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He used the Lord's day in a way that was honouring to God. Now he didn't have the option of public worship. If we have the option of public worship barring certain situations where it's just not possible to get there, if we have that option and we are floating it, then there will be consequences. And um, you know, I suppose one of the things is that some ministers all just wipe the floor with this kind of situation. I don't see that as being helpful. I don't see that as being helpful because it can just turn people away. And I certainly don't want to do that. But I am certainly very, very concerned about the spiritual welfare of, uh, of people. But John didn't have the option of public worship. It didn't stop him privately worshipping God. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And God blessed him because of that. And what God did with John was this. He gave him an insight into things further down the line. That involve every single one of us here today. And everybody listening online. And everybody the world over. So this stuff is very, very personal. Nobody in all the world is excluded from it. When he says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. He is talking about you and I. And he is talking about everybody listening. And he is talking about everybody that's ever been on this Planet. I know that you have people who have been translated. They too will stand before the great white throne. And I know that when Jesus comes back to this world for a second time, there will be some people who will not go through the experience of death. They too will stand before this great white throne. They will not be excluded. And I said this morning that with the first coming of Jesus into this world, 
You know, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was dealt with in a despicable way. It won't happen a second time. It won't happen a second time. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. So John is taken by God on the Lord's Day, a Lord's Day that he's using in the correct kind of way in his private worship. And as a result of using the means that God has given to him, he has this great blessing of getting an insight into what's happening out there in the future. And he sees this great white throne, and it's undoubtedly the case, as this, we read further on in this uh, passage of Scripture, that the one sitting on the throne is none other than Jesus Christ, the Lord. And the throne he sees is white, and white is the color that represents purity. And it's a reminder to us of this, that this throne never gets anything wrong, never. And you think, why doesn't it get anything wrong ever? Because the one on the throne knows it all. Now, not everybody agrees with that. What I'm, what I'm talking about is this. When some people appear before this great white throne, and Jesus is going to say one of two things to them, he will say either, Depart from me, ye cursed, I know you not, or he will say, Come, ye blessed, inherit. But there are some who are going to hear these words ringing in their ears, Depart from me, ye cursed. And they're going to say, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You have got it wrong. And they are then going to go into the reasons why they believe that Jesus has got it wrong. And they are going to say some things like this, I prayed every day of my life. I read the Bible every day of my life. I was a preacher in a church in this world. And you know, the astonishing thing is this. Some of them are going to be saying, I performed miracles. And Jesus is going to say, I know you not. I know you not. And the fundamental error that these people have made is this. It's not that they weren't religious. They were very, very religious. But they believed that their praying and their reading and their preaching and their miracle making were all things that garnered them merit in the eyes of God. And they, they gleaned so much merit that God looked at them and said, I'm very impressed with you. You come and you inherit. That is not the way God operates. That's not the way God operates. You know, there will be some people on that day who will stand trembling before that throne and who will bow the knee trembling before that throne because they were just so conscious of their awful sinnership. And yet, in the midst of all their trembling, 
and all their sin they genuinely believed that Jesus was who he was and he will say to them come ye blessed inherit you know as we go through our Bibles and we read the lives of those who were God's own people we read about many who are not God's people but I'm not talking about them just now I'm talking about the people who were God's people and I'm not saying this to justify or to excuse or condone sin in any way, shape or form I'm just being a realist and presenting reality in the way that the Bible presents it many of these people live very checkered Christian lives I'm not saying that we want to emulate that but sometimes that's the way it goes and I don't even know if that's accurate for me to be saying that because I think more than sometimes that's the way it goes what I'm basically saying is this we keep on mucking it up and we keep on messing it up big style but I want us to remember this that even when it's messed up big style where there is faith there is salvation when John the Baptist is saying are you the Christ or should we look for another that's a profound wobble when King David is murdering a man to cover up his sin that's a major blemish when Solomon is building shrines to awful gods with a small g that is unthinkable but it's reality but where there is faith there is salvation and when John says I saw the dead small and great stand before God I don't think he's talking about one is five foot and one is six foot I don't think that's what he's talking about I think what he's talking about is status and stature because in this world we have people who have different places of standing I mean we've just lost our queen it looks as if the queen was held in high regard higher regard than, higher regard than uh, most of us guessed and certainly in higher regard than many of our tabloids have guessed and liberal press and we have just seen an amazing amount of pageantry and pomp I think she deserved every last bit of it and I think what enabled her to function in the way that she functioned was that she did believe who Jesus was that she was a person of faith now that did not mean that she was not subjected to the rough and tumble of life's journey she did not have her sorrows to seek even within the confines of her own family I think her heart was broken I think her heart was shattered by what was going on but that's the way it went that's the way it went but she was a noble woman and she was of high standing and I think she would be one of the greats 
But there are others and they're small and they are almost insignificant except they're not insignificant in the eyes of God. But when it comes to death swallowing us up the great and the small are on the same level. Absolutely, utterly and completely. We are all on the same level. And we all die for the exact same reason. I saw the dead. Why on earth were they dead? They were dead because they were sinners. The wages of sin is death. And you know, there's one thing about sin. He's a good pair. He won't shortchange you. The wages of sin is death. But, that's only a part of the text. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we are being reminded in this passage of scripture that the dead, small and great will stand before this great white throne and these books shall be opened. And there's a number of books. There's the Bible. This is the book that we have been given and our response to it will be examined. There's the book of our works. (laughs) And... uh, You know, to go back and to reflect on everything we've ever done, said, or thought in life's journey is a daunting prospect. Daunting. I mean, there's not a single soul here tonight who would let anybody else, who would choose to have anybody else see them as they really are. That's just too daunting. That's just too daunting. And we don't even want to go there ourselves. We just don't want to go there very often ourselves. And I guess most of the time we can't go there. Simply because of our frailties. And what I mean by that is this. Our memories won't let us go there. We only remember a fraction of our experience in life's journey. Just a fraction. But I don't think we will be dealing with fractions before the great white throne. It will all be there. And that is very, very daunting. That is very, very daunting. Every man shall be judged according to his works. That is why it is just so, so important to come in all our poverty and in all our sin and in all our depravity to Jesus of Nazareth. What does the psalmist say of this Jesus of Nazareth? Why do stretch my hands to thee my help alone? It is alone. Salvation is an utter and absolute gift. And it's there for the taking. Now I know that 
When we have this gift, our response should be, I want to honour him. I want to express my thanks to him. And the question then is, well, how do you do that? Well, he tells us how we do that. If you love me, keep my commandments. That is why a believer wants to keep the commandments, not as a basis to save oneself, but as an expression of thanks for being saved on the basis of gift by Jesus of Nazareth. Let's remember this. It's the same Jesus of Nazareth who's on this great white throne. And that is so, so astonishing because the judge holds in perfect balance an absolute equilibrium, not just justice, but mercy as well. That's why you and I are here tonight. Because we've written ourselves off over and over and over and over again. So why are we here? We are here because he is who he is. He is is the great judge. But he is also full of tender mercy. That is, that is why we are here. And reference is made to the book of life as well. Everybody who is in Christ is found in the book of life. Now I know that's a great mystery. Because God himself chooses who will be in the book of life. But we have a choice as well. It's the two sides coming together. It's the sovereignty of God. And it's the human responsibility that God has given to us. They dovetail completely. But we are shrouded with mystery most of the time. But um, we flee in all our poverty. To Jesus the Saviour, we are in the book of life. And it is called the book of life for a very particular reason. It is life that shall never end. And that is so different to life in this world. Because life in this world always ends. And sometimes it ends in the saddest of circumstances. But it ends. But this book of life speaks about a life... That shall never, ever end. Of course, this book also speaks about being judged according to their works. There are those that have not fled to Jesus as Saviour. And some of them are very, very religious people. They have prayed all their lives, they have read their Bible all their lives. They have preached many a day of their lives and maybe even performed a miracle. But they never ever came trembling in all their sin to the Saviour of sinners. They were banking on their own merit to be saved. And their lot is eternal death. And God's word tells us it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you look at the context of these words, it's in the context of God as judge. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God in terms of him saying, depart from me, you cursed. 
I know you not. But on that day, on that island, in that prison, on the Aegean Sea, John looked down the avenue of time and he saw that great white throne and he saw the dead small and great stand before that throne and he saw that books were opened he saw you and he saw me and he saw the whole of the human race now that staggers our capability to imagine when we think of the numbers involved I mean how do you get that number of people gathering together how does that work I don't know how that works but I think that when we question that that will happen we are limiting the enormity of who God is and what he is capable of it's the same problem we have with this concept that every word deed and thought will be before us how does that work I don't know how that works but I'm not going to hem God in and limit him I hope we will not any of us he records it all he revives our memories all daunting yes very very daunting but the blood of Christ cleanseth from all sin and that's what we must remember and so as we go through a topsy-turvy world with all its heartaches and pains and all its anxieties and fears where there is faith even trembling faith even a faith that keeps being shrouded by our own waywardness and our own foolishness it's still faith you know what Spurgeon said Spurgeon said this that great faith will bring heaven to your soul but he also went on to say this little faith will bring your soul to heaven (coughs) not everybody has great faith I think a lot of us have little faith little faith will bring our soul to heaven Amen, let's pray O Lord our God help us to ponder the truth that we will be in that great cloud before that great white throne on that day please help us whatever else we do in life's journey please help us to believe in you and to be safe in you and all we ask is in Christ's name Amen Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 67. It's the first version of the psalm. It's on page 300 of the Psalter. Lord bless 
and pity us. Shine on us with thy face, that the earth thy way and nations all may know thy saving grace. We'll sing the whole song to God's, to God's praise. Lord, bless and pity us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with each one.